0: Hey guys, welcome back to Bodies in the Bayou's. This is Morgan and Gretchen. We're bringing you episode six of season one, the Texas Killing Fields.
1: So we're going to start off today talking about the murder of Dolores Mary Foos, who was 62 years old from Fremont, Ohio. And it does seem a little bit different that we're going to talk about somebody who is not from Texas, not murdered in Texas, but this murder connects to a lot of different things that we've talked about before and what we're going to talk about today. So we want to make sure that you had some background on what happened to her. So um, on August 18th, Dolores Mary Foos went out to dinner with some friends and came home that evening to her apartment in Fremont, Ohio, and then goes missing so she's reported missing on the 19th nobody knows what happened to her police arrive at her home they do not see anything that that makes them think the home has been broken into um her purse is there her car is there and mary is simply missing it isn't until september 8th of 1971 that her body is found several miles outside of town and at that point in time, please notice that she has been shot four times in the back with a 38 caliber weapon. So you, we don't get a very good idea of what happened to Dolores for a while. But how we do find out what happened is that Harry Lanham was common law married possibly common law married it's a little confusing they um so harry lanham had a girlfriend earlier with a five-year-old who we'll talk about a little bit later but then um when when he's in texas he meets up with a lady named becky they refer to each other as husband and wife so common law marriage i think is the right way to say it so harry lanham Um, is in Texas with Becky and they decide to fly to Fremont to see his parents who live there. They stay with his parents for a couple of days and then there is an argument between him and his parents. And so his parents ask him to leave. He leaves and then they go stay with his sister Lucky. Um, They stay there for another day and an argument happens between him and Lucky. So he leaves becky states that lanham knew dolores mary foos from school we're not 100 sure what that connection is because we don't know her as a school teacher and her age certainly is quite a bit older so they wouldn't have gone to school together but he says he knew her from school so somehow he had a connection to her and um so he calls her up on the phone asks her if he and becky can come by clean up um, stay a day and then get on the road and head back to Texas. Um, while Becky is in the living room, she notices that Lanham and Dolores are in the bedroom. She goes into the bedroom and catches Lanham with a gun to Dolores's head. And they are in the bedroom. Becky says she didn't even know that the gun was out of the car. She felt like the, the gun was still in the glove box of the car. Uh, Several hours go by, and then Lanham and Dolores come out of the bedroom. Uh, Dolores, at that point in time, is dressed. They load her up into the car. They start driving around, to which uh, Dolores keeps asking when she'll be able to go home. And Harry keeps telling her that he's going to find a place to drop her off and let her walk home. Um, Becky says... They get out of the car on a dirt road. Harry Lanham lets Dolores out. She starts walking down the road, and then Lanham gets out of the car, follows her, and Becky hears several gunshots. And then Lanham gets back into the car. He has the um, casings from the gun that he wraps up in a towel, throws in the trunk of the car, drives around for a little bit while while later, he gets out the casings again, tosses them on the side of the road. My guess is that at this time, he also tosses out the gun, because we do know that the gun was found um, several days later. And, uh, and so the, he probably did toss out the gun at that time, Becky just didn't know that. Um, And so, although this case is not in Texas, it is very much connected to the cases that we have talked about earlier. And so we just wanted to give you some background on who Dolores was and what happened to her. So I don't. Do you have any more on Dolores that you want to talk about more? No, I think that pretty much sums it up. OK, well, now we'll kind of get started with our episode.
0: episode is going to be a little bit more free-flowing um we are also going to be going over our timeline and we are going to be spending some time recapping the last five um, episodes that we have brought to you if you have not listened to our last five episodes we highly suggest you go back and do that or you will be lost um you know as far as what we're going to
1: cover today Okay, so we've decided to start recording so that maybe our audience gets to hear some of our discussion here because we feel like some of what we're talking about is very important and it gets lost when we talk about it and then we go to record and kind of tell you what we talked about. So we thought maybe we'd just talk about it and record and let you listen to it. Yeah, Yeah, because I think sometimes it does get lost and we're trying to be like fact-telling. Yeah, I I think it definitely gets lost. So okay what what we're having a problem with here right now is we wanted to get ready today to present to you kimberly Pitchford, and so in doing research on kimberly and looking at the timeline we started to look at this timeline a whole lot better yes we did and so the first thing i want to do is give audience our audience a little bit of you of where we're at on the timeline And for those of you who like to see it all written down, you might want to write this down. June 9th, 1971. Hold up, hold up. Before we just like go right into the facts. We're starting at the beginning, right? We're going to start at the beginning. We're going to run all the way through and then we're going to talk about, we're not going to run all the way through all the victims in the Texas killing fields that we have, but we're going to run through where we are right now so the audiences realize why we're having such trouble. Because right. I think I, I think it'll that. open up to them a little bit of where we're having such a difficulty. So the Because first, we were ready to like totally record it. We, were, we like, were.
0: And we had, I was like, hold on, hold on, I got the notes. And you're like, uh, I don't think we do that. And I just
1: didn't, I, I didn't like, feel let comfortable. Me comfortable with it. I didn't. Let me show you. Let me show you. Yeah. Okay. So. so what we have right now is saying that on June 9th, uh, 1971, Pamela Hubner is abducted and killed. Her body is never found. On July seventeenth, nineteen 1971, Colette Wilson, 13 years old, is abducted and killed. Her body is found months later. Brenda Jones is kidnapped on July 1st, 1971, and her body is found the next day. Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw are kidnapped on August 4th, 1971, and their bodies are found months later. Gloria Gonzalez is kidnapped on October 28th, 1971, and her body is found with Colette Wilson about a month after she was abducted. Allison Craven is abducted and killed November 9th, 1971, and her body is found later also in two different places. And then Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson are abducted on November 15th, 1971. Actually, I'm sorry, I skipped two. So before them, we have Adele Crabtree on November 2nd, 1971, Linda Sutherland on November 4th, 1971, and then November 15th, we have Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson, and their bodies are found just a few days after they're abducted. So um, the problem being, when you look at this timeline and you start to go forward, you have a large gap. And... What you have is is actually a year and a half, I think, is what mm-hmm. we've what we've been talking about before you have another documented victim. Correct. So I think where we started was we started going down a rabbit hole and saying, okay, there have to be more victims there. Well, I think
0: yesterday when we like were working on this,
1: trying mm-hmm. to like figure
0: this out for what we were gonna lay down today, I looked at you and was like, what was the variable that changed for that gap to be there? Where you don't have this mass murdering abducting serial killer rapist type of conduct right right and um through
1: hashing it out i guess we have come up with a new (laughs) well i think what we what we've done is we've hashed this out quite a bit we've looked at all the information that we've had and we actually started going back and saying Let's look at some of the suspects that we've actually pulled out. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that'll answer some of the questions. And so, for us, we have several suspects. You're talking about Mike Lloyd Self, um, Henry Doyle Shuffin, Shufflin, and then Harold Bell, who we've talked about. Uh, Edward Harold Bell, who is at this point in time on everybody's mind as a suspect. And then you have. Our very first suspects that we came out with, which are Harry, we have already discussed, we've already discussed, right? so which are Harry Lanham and Anthony Napa. So we do started, you want to do a brief recap on them or just yeah? Go so right into um, it. Harry Lanham and Anthony Napa were two gentlemen who met while they were in jail. Mm-hmm. And so we started to try to look at when were they in jail. Because when we first started to do this, we actually believed that it was a lot later. Yeah, it was a lot later Mm -hmm. that they were that they were in jail right before Gloria Gonzalez goes. And so I think our belief was that you had some victims who might be tied to Lanham. And then he teams up with Napa. And then you have maybe some other victims who are dead. Discovered that they met in jail. They did meet in jail. Mm -hmm. But we discovered they met in jail. Way earlier. About a month before Pamela Mm -hmm. Hubner goes Mm -hmm. missing. And then they get out of jail. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like you have, they're out of jail and you have, Pamela, Colette, Brenda, Rhonda, Sharon, Gloria Gonzalez, Allison Craven, Debbie Ackerman, and Maria Johnson all happened right there. And you've got a few gaps in there. And one of the gaps that I want to talk about is actually the gap after August 4th. And what we know about that is we actually know that Lamb went to Ohio. Right. How do we know that? Well,
0: they brought him back. They had to bring him back and he had killed Mary Foos.
1: Yeah, Dolores so. Mary Fuse. So Lanham, why in Ohio, abducts and kills a sixty-two-year-old woman, Dolores Mary Foos. And he admits to it. He admits to it, he yes. Does. Well, and they tie him to something. They actually when he kills Dolores Mary Foos, he shoots her four times with a thirty eight caliber gun. Right. And they find the 38 caliber gun in Ohio near where her body is found. And her body is actually found um about a month after she is abducted. And they find that gun, tie it, it's tied to Lanham, and Lanham admits that yes, he bought that gun in Houston. Mm-hmm. And they go and search and find that Lanham bought the 38 in Houston. And so that's kind of ties him to that. And at the time that he's in jail, suspected of um, Linda Sutherland's murder, he is questioned about Dolores Mary Fu- Fu's murder, and um, they're good. Ohio says we want him back. We're going to take yeah. him back, and we're going to put him in on trial in Ohio. And Houston says, "Wait, wait, wait." we have more cases that we're going to put him on trial of here. And so in doing that, we've really started to get down this rabbit hole of, is it possible that all of these people on this timeline are actually killed by the same people? So what you have to look at though, is you have to look at some of them. You have somebody in jail already convicted of their murders.
0: True, but I think we went into some detail on those false confessions and some of that,
1: too. Well, we looked a lot at Michael Lloyd's Self's false conf- confession, which we believe is false. And even if you think that Michael Lloyd Self killed Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw... No matter what, you have to say that a confession that's taken, while somebody is holding a gun to your head, it, you can't, what, that's what validity, yeah, what validity you put that? But here's the thing, when you have Lanham, right, who
0: possibly could have done those crimes, it's like, oh, they got somebody else, I can just do what I want in the meantime, right, the, the pressure's off of me, they're not looking at me for these crimes,
1: so. Well, and that's, that's definitely true because come to find out Adele Crabtree, another record driver was actually arrested for her murder, you know, and was being held at the time. A guy named James Whitley was arrested for her murder. So police were looking at different people other than Harry Lanham and Anthony Napa. But it seems to be once they get them into um, custody, they start to get some confessions and they tie some of those confessions back to things that they knew in the crime already, right. the, like the wrecker. I think that's that's one of the biggest things. Yeah, absolutely. you know?
0: um, and, Well, and then I briefly have mentioned like wreckers like usually those services are like contracted help. Mm -hmm. They don't do extensive background checks or anything like that. Right. Because we do know that
1: Lanham has both Lanham and uh, and Napa. I mean, Lanham was previously in jail for uh, beating up a um, five-year-old. And then Napa's in jail for sexual assault, you know? And so it's not like these are, you know, salt of the earth people, but it does kind of throw a question out there about Alison Craven's um, murder and the convicted killer in that murder being Henry Doyle Shufflin. And so we just have to ask ourselves, is it possible that Shufflin did not kill Allison Craven?
0: I think that's always been a question, honestly. I mean, to me, I mean, when we look at the timeline, we obviously have question marks up there. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that was from day one. I
1: I felt, I guess I felt pretty good about Doyle's confession only because, you know, when I read, he obviously appeals his case. And when I read his appeal, what he appeals on is, you know, basically stating that the judge made him um, some promises that didn't come through. But here's the thing that we know about getting parole. Even
0: though you think you're innocent, you did not plead guilty at trial. Even though you do not say, I am guilty of this crime and you're convicted, you do not get parole unless you admit to the crime. So that is one thing I would look at
1: with him and i guess the other thing that you know we can always look at too is when lawyers take these cases for appellate decisions for appeals mm-hmm. and um stuff they look at what is the strongest evidence that they have for an appeal and they say to themselves what's what do we think is really strong gun to the head or you know well that's, saying, that's, just with, yeah, that's that's certainly yeah that's with self but yeah but with doyle way, maybe they felt yeah. like they weren't going to get his confession overturned, you know, that there was no chance. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't come forward and say that there was a gun to his head or, you know, um. and so we just don't know, you know, we, um. we don't know, but it kind of leaves it out there because, you know, in several, um, I mean, news- he's appealing for a reason. He is. Guess, you know. Yeah. Um. Well, but Lanham appeals beating up his five-year-old uh, stepdaughter. And then he gets up he does, he appeals, um, well, he doesn't get out on appeal, he gets out on g- good behavior, um, but um, Outstanding citizen. Jesus. But he appeals saying that the, the, the photographs of his five-year-old stepdaughter with bruises on were um, prejudicial to the dir- jury, um, which was denied on appeal, but um, Thank God But I mean, you know, just saying that if somebody appeals, it means that they're innocent, I don't think we can say that, I think no. guilty yeah. people definitely appeal Um, well, sure. Well, I mean, we we don't, we don't know. I mean, we're not on a jury looking at the case that was presented against Lanham about beating up his uh, five-year-old stepdaughter. But, um, what we do know about that case is that it, you know, there were several people who had witnessed her with a mass amount of bruises and she was removed from the home because of that. And then not only did this poor five-year-old testify to say that she had been abused by him, but the mother of the five-year-old testified to say that she they had been abused. They put that five-year-old
0: on trial. They put her on the stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Jesus. Yeah. that That's tough. And she must have had some good words and some so, serious testimony for that because wow you know they wanted him gone well seriously i mean I'm, you know what i mean like you know what yeah. i'm saying All right
1: yeah um but you know there, and you can always go back and look at these cases and say you have some big differences in how they were killed but one of the things that that does come into a lot of these cases is at least an attempt at strangulation yeah because you know that...
0: Um, well, and actually the whole time that we've been discussing a lot of this, right? I'm like, well, how were they killed and how did this happen? I'm like, it's just opportunity. Maybe he had the gun on him that day.
1: Maybe he didn't. You know. I'm well, like, and if, if you're successful with strangulation, you don't really need the gun. I think that... But what we also do know about both Harry Lanham and Anthony Napa, Napa was a Vietnam soldier and um, was a good shot. And Lanham was a marksman and a good shot. So we do know that um, they were used to shooting guns and they were good shots. And in several of these cases, we do have guns used.
0: Well, the strangulation might actually take place with that too because if that's your background you may want to deter that being a speculation on you to do something different
1: yeah and You you know one of the things that um comes out in the articles that is written is the article that is out there that talks about lanham and napa being um part of these cases is that they say that the motive on this was sex and so when you're talking about the motive on a case being sex there is a certain point of arousal that does happen with strangulation sadly you know and so that is that is kind of something that you know you do see in sexual assault cases where the victims will be strangled and um you know it's one of those power and control elements that happen you know unfortunately we don't have his um, ex-partners to talk to but i would be willing to bet probably on both of these two their ex-partners would probably talk about that that being part of their mo when they were having sex um You know, and so, but what happens here is when, so when these two, after Maria Johnson and Debbie Ackerman are killed on November 15th, you know, it kind of stops you, we did discover other cases. I mean, we came across, you know, a few different missing persons cases. Um, you tracked down one that we thought was very interesting. You spent a lot of time on that and only to find out that that girl was actually later discovered and ended up back home. And then sadly was later murdered. Right. You know, um, I tracked down one that I really thought was going to fit, which was up in Nassau Bay where a, Girl um, took him a couple of days to discover who she was. and um, and we spent a lot of time on that case looking at, you know what happened there. But in the end, there was some very, very solid evidence that went against the two people who were charged with killing her. And in that case, those two individuals were juveniles. And I just have to say, at
0: that point when we discovered that, I was like, are you kidding me? This is totally random, and you're like,
1: I think it's totally random. Not like random, but it's hard. I think it's know? it's hard when you spend all this time. You know, um, I don't I don't think people kind of understand. You know how that started, but you know we had this newspaper article that said unidentified redhead. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at Swan um, Swan Park mm-hmm. or something, yeah. which um, was Taylor. Taylor Lake mm-hmm. and um, and then one of the things that that newspaper article says is this is going to definitely be connected to Rhonda Johnson uh, Sharon Shaw and this torso and
0: then you click and you click and you click and you go <laughs> down the rabbit hole and you're like not related at all Yeah. and so sometimes you're like not that you want them to be related because this is terrible but it's dead end again. it's
1: Well, and then it's hard not to... I think in some ways it's hard not to tell that story either. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, what do we do with this now? Yeah, because I came with you
0: this morning and I'm like, hey, I got this, this, and this. You're like, I don't think we can bring it up. Oh, yeah,
1: that's hurtful. But (laughs) okay, yeah, because it's not what we're covering. Yeah, it's not what we're covering. You know, and and that's difficult. But I think you know what... um, what does happen is that, you know, we're trying to stay true to what we believe is, is connected to this area. And when we find out that it is a case of maybe just um, a boyfriend and that the case was really solved, you know, I think we have to say you know, for that family, there is closure. And then maybe it's not good for us to start, you know, digging that up and announcing that on a podcast because where can we go with that?
0: I mean, and they believe just as probably has been met at that point. So there's no reason for us to hurt them. And anyway,
1: So I think one of the important things that we have to tie in here, is it possible that Lanham and Napa killed Pamela Hubner, And we have to say yes, because they, he confesses to that.
0: I absolutely think we have to say that, because originally, I think when we
1: went and said this, we didn't know they had met prior to Colette. Right. And so it's definitely possible that they were together, that they killed Hubner. And one of the things that we know about Hubner is that Lanham took them to the location that he said Hubner's body was, and that in that location, they did find her coin purse. So there's corroborating evidence to what he's saying there. You know, they don't find her body, but they do find her coin purse. There are many reasons that they possibly don't find their body, her body, and one of the reasons you kind of talked about, and you said, maybe Anthony Napa moved her. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think that's like that whole, okay, maybe they aren't
0: best friends, but let's just break it down that we're best friends, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when somebody sees you, they're like, hey, where's Morgan? Or, what is she doing? Or, you know, like, have you told her? And you're like, I don't talk to her every day. I think it's kind of relevant the same way. If Napa wanted to revisit the bodies, he's probably not going to run them past Glamath. Why would he? I mean, that's his own thing. That's what he wants to do. We each individually do our own thing and have our stuff going on. So,
1: I mean, it's not I think there's also the possibility that maybe Napa didn't trust Lana. Maybe. But- you know, and so maybe he didn't trust. Let's him. kill somebody and not trust each other.
0: That's cool. <laughs> well, well then, I mean you're you're come on. killing. <laughs> on. You're
1: killing somebody. So why would you trust the I mean, person right. you're killing them Yes, from, you Absolutely. I mean, so <laughs> So we can, um, we definitely tie them to uh, Hubner. To Colette Wilson, yes. I, I think it's a, a possibility. I, I wouldn't say that I'm 100% sold on the fact that they killed um, Colette Wilson, but yes. I think that, you know, there's enough there that uh, law enforcement did enough of an investigation to say yes. Brenda Jones, you know... Brenda Jones is, is kind of that that one that that sometimes you just question it and I but one thing that I have to say about Brenda Jones is she would have been a victim of opportunity. No. Yeah, that's what and I was so, gonna say too.
0: I think it was all about opportunity for her. They're and, already scouring that neighborhood. They're already, you know, looking for that type of girl, maybe vulnerable, you know, I mean absolutely your background with domestic Uh, violence i mean she could have just seemed vulnerable
1: well and i I think here's the thing she's walking alone if you have two people in a truck or in in a, a wrecker or even in the car that we've heard about i think it's relatively easy to grab this 14 year old child and drive off with her and so I think that, I don't think she was hitchhiking. I don't, you know, she's too close to home. She didn't have it. It wasn't necessary for her to do that. And um, so I think there's always a possibility that they just grabbed her. Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw, I have some questions about. To me, there's a very strange point that happens here. They're in Galveston, but when they're found, they're found close to home. And that worries me because I really think that it's very possible that they were picked they up by somebody that they, they knew. knew.
0: That's honestly, I when I think about those two girls, I don't think I'm gonna stray from that point for me. Is I do believe they knew them. They're at home. Whoever decided to victimize them might have wanted them to be found right away.
1: Maybe they had some guilt about it. I Mm -hmm. don't know. I just... It's, it's their location that, mm-hmm. that I have some trouble with. Agreed. But the only thing that I can think about, about their location that makes me think that it's a possibility though, is that if you pick them up and and say they, you pick them up and you say, Hey, we'll give you a ride. Maybe their ride was running late. And so they thought maybe she wasn't coming. Maybe they were hitchhiking. I, I don't know that they were, but um one of the things that I, that I come to is, in order to keep kind of some sort of control, you would possibly, they would tell you where they needed to go. And so you would go in that direction, and then maybe change course at the last possible moment, you know, and so that may have been how they kept some control there. You know, um, Gloria Gonzalez, I think that goes right back to Colette Wilson, you know, the police had enough in their in these two statements to believe that they were connected. And I would say that. No, oh, I believe that too. So, um, as for Gloria Gonzalez, I mean, I'm sorry, Allison Craven. That worries me a little bit. Um, and the reason that it worries me is because I believe that her body was moved. That's why you have part of it close to her apartment complex. And then you have part of it much farther away. But you never know. If they're like teaming
0: up. Maybe it was that one thing about her that made him want to move her. You know, I mean, you just don't know. Like I've seen, I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I've seen enough things to... No, like sometimes you imprint on somebody mm-hmm. who maybe makes you feel a certain type of way or you feel connected
1: to them or you need to save them or you need to separate them like we don't know but well and the other possibility there that we don't know is whether or not one of them thought that somebody spotted him or somebody had enough information about them that they were worried that if she was found that close to the home that that information might come out maybe they thought they were spotted at that location and so that's why they moved them the other thing is but you don't think that they would both been like
0: ringed in on that
1: no not necessarily the and the other thing is with Colette Wilson, and then a later abducting Gloria Gonzalez, we know that if they did that, they went back and visited the same locations that they had been at before. So it's possible that they had a discussion and they were like, you know, she, we need to, we need to move her. You know, mm-hmm. somebody has seen the truck here or somebody has seen this here. And so it's possible, but it's still, it's one of those little things that does give me pause. Well, De- I think it
0: would be something, too, like if you're being interrogated and be like, oh, no, I don't know what that's You don't know what I would do. I don't know what you would do. Right. In that circumstance, and if you're committing that kind of crime together.
1: And then Debbie Ackerman and Marie Johnson, I think it's, it's incredibly um, possible that they were connected to that. And one of the things that law enforcement says in one of the articles that's written around this time period, when they have Lana and Napa, they actually say that these men knew some of the victims, and they were known to visit some of the locations that the victims were also known to visit. And they say drive-ins, and other locations. Like surf shops and things like that. You, yeah, I just don't, you know. I mean, so there's there's something there that they didn't fully release, but in that statement, they released those two names. They released Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson. And we do know that they needed to go back and get the wallet. So we know that they had hitchhiked earlier in the day, and so possibly their mode of transportation was to hitchhike. The one outlying fact in that, of course, is Leslie White, who is the rape victim earlier in the day, who does not come out and say that there were two people in the truck. Right. But again, we don't have a real full statement from her. So is it possible that there was a second person or is it possible that one person in a truck would go out and find a victim and then get somebody else? I think it's totally possible. You don't mm-hmm. think it's
0: totally possible for me to be like, Hey Gretchen, I'm going to go get this person. I'll meet you back here and let's go do what we do.
1: Yeah. I mean, come on. Well, and I think two people in a truck would be very intimidating no. for, for somebody. And so maybe that, maybe he did pick him up around the corner or, you know, maybe, maybe he was hanging out at a drive thru and they were meeting them there,
0: you
1: know? Yeah. Uh, you know? Um, so, so I think that that kind of, ties up a little bit what, what we've discovered here. And one of the really interesting points that we found out is that law enforcement believed that these two individuals were responsible for the deaths of at least several of these girls up here. Yeah. And when they're talking about it, they're saying Colette Wilson, Brenda Jones, Gloria Gonzalez, Allison Craven, Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson. They are leaving out Rhonda Johnson and Sharon Shaw yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they had information to think that, that that was not connected. It could be that, that the law enforcement was looking in another direction. And we know that they went in another direction. Um, and I so- think the only
0: reason, honestly, if I had to say it, in my opinion, the reason they didn't try is because they already had self, mm-hmm. you know, they were already accusing him and had a false confession and all that stuff. And, you know, could blame it on him. So they didn't need to
1: like, why would they need to go that route? Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I think that's that's all we could possibly look mm-hmm. at is that, you know, they really felt like that was Dolores Mary Foos, You know, she is in Ohio. I don't think we want to forget that she was certainly a victim of Lanham. Absolutely. And, and, and how uh, many random victims were there like her? And I I think that's that's an interesting point. These Lanham's 23 years old. And we're not even looking in Ohio. We're not looking in Ohio. You know, because what we start looking at him in is, is definitely in the Houston area. Um, but I, th- I think there's possibly more victims oh, out sure. there associated with Lanham before he ever got um, involved with uh, Napa. We know that there are sexual assault victims that are tied to Napa. You know, whether or not it's his involvement with Lanham that finally make, puts him into the case of, of being a murderer. Um, but with that conviction that happens for Linda Sutherland's case, they're, they're taken on out at that point in time, they don't have the ability to have this reign of terror on anybody else. And so that would possibly explain this gap in time. It would, you know, um, but one thing that we can say is, and the reason we decided to cover them today and not cover them at a later time was we didn't want there to be any confusion with victims going forward. They cannot be connected with where we're going forward right. with from Now there's a possibility that we've missed victims you know up in houston there's definitely a possibility that we miss victims in ohio well, sure because we're think not about re- that think about yeah. that
0: 45 trail all the way uh-huh. to, to ohio yeah jesus i mean you go up 59 you never mm-hmm. know because
1: yeah i can't so we um but we're not, think, like, <laughs> we're not really turning the podcast into a, right. you know, try to try to trace that out. You know, if if other information comes forward at, at a later time that we think, you know, is important, I think we'll bring it forward to people because I think. And if you bring us information, we'd love that too. Absolutely. If yeah. somebody has any information on, you know, any of their other victims, I think it's important to look at that because it may help. Figure out whether or not law enforcement was On the right Mm -hmm. path But I think for us going forward we want to Look at some of these other victims and In that then we're going to start to look at Other suspects.
0: Can I ask you A question though is if Other people started to come forward And say hey this happened in Ohio And this happened and Wouldn't it give closure to Our law enforcement In our cities as far As maybe they had it right the whole time Because I think that's Kind of that whole stipulation and when you see the A&E and, you know, the Hulu episodes and stuff, they're talking about how law enforcement wasn't talking to each other and they didn't have a right. I I don't see that as we
1: get into it. Right. I think that was one of the things that when we started this, you know, we really believed that. We did. (laughs) That, that <laughs> law enforcement, you know, didn't talk to each other, that law enforcement wasn't um, looking at each other. And it, it actually is a Brazoria County um, detective and a um, Harris County detective that really start to put all this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think, you know, for me, I would hope that somewhere out there they have Lanham and Napa's DNA. And that they could be run against these uh, suspects. Do you think they do have their DNA? Just, I mean, Lanham would be tough. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't think the laws were the same. No, at that point in time, we were not taking DNA samples Mm -hmm. from from either of them that would be convicted, um, whether or not after conviction, Napa's DNA was taken, or that he spent enough time in in jail that one of the laws would have come in place to actually, I actually think that now he's Ask him. Yeah. He's released in the eighties. Um, so the only way that we could, um, look at DNA on either one of them, if they had DNA to compare it to would probably be genetic genealogy. Right. That's what I was wondering, too, because I was like, "Mm." and I think genetic genealogy, if you if you had DNA from any of these victims, genetic genealogy would be the way to go. Um, What we do know about the bullets, we do know that it's a 38 with Maria Johnson and Debbie Ackerman. We do know that they do have that bullet or at least they had it to compare to that other family um, of serial killers you know, mm-hmm. other possible suspects, but... The McCleary's? Um, yeah. I think we've kind of think that that's probably not it's a good not connection. Sure. Um, well, but, but no, you had an interesting thing, you problem- talked
0: about it, though, too, because you're like, it's a 38 but it was found in Ohio. I'm like, but that could have been his gun of choice. Right. You know, so I think that's one other thing to be aware of, is even though the gun that was found with Liam, he still could have had another one. I mean, you have... You know your cigarette choice, your drug a choice. Right. You have your choice of guns. Like everybody has their choice, and that might have been
1: his thing. Well, and what we do know that with um, Linda Sutherland's case, that because that was a shotgun case, and they, um, when they arrested him, they asked him about shotguns, and he had said that he had pawned them, um, and that he had pawned a pistol. The question would be, you know, what caliber of weapon was that pistol? Was it a thirty-eight? And if it was was ballistics ever run on that to look at Ackerman and Johnson's case, right? You know, did they recover it? Was it ever run to look at a possibility? So that would be, you know, that would definitely be one thing because you do have a gunshot in that case. Um, And I think that would be important if law enforcement would look into that. I, I think that law enforcement in a lot of ways, at least at that point felt like these cases were closed. Um, I think it would be maybe important for law enforcement to take a look at that and and come out and say whether or not they still believe these cases are closed, you know, and if they do, then what evidence do they have to actually close these cases?
0: Do you think they would come out and say that?
1: I think there's enough out there right now with the pressure of trying to, do the right thing? Well, I think it's not just the do the right thing, but I think there's a lot of pressure on the idea that the Texas killing fields cases are not solved. And so if there are cases that in law enforcement's mind are solved and in the DA's mind, because the DA at the point in time that a lot happened with Edward Bell writing these letters said that we have other suspects in these cases that are stronger and that he believed that this, that these cases were pretty much closed. I think that maybe a better statement would be how he thinks they're closed because that needs, I think that needs to come out. So
0: because of the high profile, I guess scenarios in these cases, don't you already think it's challenged to try to solve them? Like it is such a high profile, it isn't like anything that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Because I literally looked at you yesterday and was like, okay, well, why does this seem so prevalent? Like here, this is all going
1: on. Like, can you look at my hometown? Mm-hmm. We looked at my hometown. How many were out there of the unidentified? I think we looked in the Nashville area and there were like fifteen. Okay, something. yeah. In your hometown one one <laughs> okay yeah. and then here it it was quite extensive i mean we had to go we
0: had like know, 12 in one area yeah, and one, one in each one other. tiny
1: area around a restaurant in and a, that's you know, angleton yeah. and then we yeah. haven't
0: in, we didn't even literally do all of houston so right. i think that's what was my mm-hmm. opening for me because i was like literally looking at you i'm like this is crazy when I look at this timeline, there's more girls on here than open cases in my hometown. Yes. And yours combined. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it would be, I think if these cases are solved. it's a lot of pressure. Then I think that they should release those records and release a statement. It's a lot of pressure. And so we'll see where we go from here, but I think, you know, we'll be looking at next steps. And maybe we'll try to get a statement. So after today's episode, I really feel a lot more comfortable with going forward at this point and covering some of the victims, you know, in the, in the next couple of years. It just, when, when we were trying to start out, I just felt like you know, there was such a gap in that timeline that we hadn't really explored enough. And I think today, you know, we we really have, we're still researching the possibility that there are other victims in this gap. You know, we're going to keep an open mind to that. But as Where we stand today, there's roughly about a year and a half gap between Debbie Ackerman, Maria Johnson, and our next victim that we're going to cover in our next episode, which is going to be Kimberly Pitchford. So thanks for um, hanging in with us today and kind of listen to us, you know, banter back and forth and kind of talk about this, you know, in a little more free-flowing way, because this was helpful for us. I think, was it helpful for you to get a better idea Oh yeah,
0: for sure. Just
1: bouncing those ideas out there for them to hear as well. And I don't think that we're ready to close the book and say, that's it. These victims were all killed by Lanham and Napa. But I do feel like of these 12 victims, there is a very good possibility that, that they were killed by Lanham and Napa. And you may... One may have not, two may have not, but I think that you have to look at it and say a good portion of them were right, or okay. or possibly, you know, there is there is somebody else who claims responsibility for them, and and so we're going to bring you a couple more victims, and then we're going to bring you the information on that. And I think you know we're not experts, and so you know we're hoping that the public may have some clues, and and any way that this brings some sort of um, second look at these cases, I think will be great.
0: With that being said, thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Um, We're always, you know, waiting to listen, hear from you guys. And um, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, Bodies in the Bayous. And you can always shoot us an email as well at bodiesinbayous at hotmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you guys. And um, I think we're going to
1: close. Thank you. Bye.